privilege to introduce our speaker this morning, and I can only say never underestimate the power of a cassette tape. Um, when I was very, very new in the program, I was given a tape from my sponsor, and that person on the tape was the person who was going to lead the workshop this morning. Frank Dam from the Lamont Oak Group in Chicago. Thank you. My name is Frank and I'm an alcoholic. Glad to be here. My sobriety date is November 3rd, 1971. That means that since that date in 1971, I have not had to have the drink to stand you. To stand me, stand where I live, where I work, to react to disappointment, to celebrate good fortune, to run away. That's what I'll call synonymous. What we're going to do is I'm going to ask you to relax. I didn't come here to preach to you or teach you anything. I want you to understand that I'm here as a volunteer. I don't get paid for this. I don't get anything. I get a little embarrassed sometimes when I hear these announcements about these tapes. It sounds, uh, people that don't know think that there's some kind of a commercialism. That's not the case. I'm, I'm not associated with that, nor do I have any, uh, get anything from that. Okay? So if your defense mechanism is built up, who the hell is this guy? I'm going to tell you. I'm nobody. I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. You don't have to pay any attention to anything I say. What I say is not the truth. What I say is what I perceive, what I've learned, and what I've observed for over 20 years of continuous sobriety. I'm here to share that with you. If you walk out of here saying, I don't like that guy, that's perfectly okay. Because if I was new, I probably wouldn't like me either. <laughs> now, if you stick around, you'll really like it. <laughs> I've made certain discoveries. I want to share those discoveries with you. What you learn here today may be the difference, or be part of the difference. At least it's going to be part of the puzzle of what the hell Alcoholics Anonymous is about and what you're supposed to do. And that's all this is, so I want you to participate and I want you to relax. This is not going to be a long, tedious day. We're going to do it easy, and we're going to take breaks. And you're going to ask the questions you want to ask, and we're not going to play any games, we're not going to have any masks, we're not going to try to impress anybody. That's not what this is about. We're not going to measure anybody by their questions or their comments. That's not what this is about. I'll call it that if you don't measure people. We're not going to convince anybody not to drink either. Because whether you drink or not, I really don't care. This is not a treatment center. An Alcoholics Anonymous is a little different sometimes because sometimes people think in Alcoholics Anonymous our function is to convince you not to drink. It's impossible to convince somebody not to drink. If you want to drink, you're going to drink. The greatest speakers in the world aren't going to keep you from drinking if you want to drink. The purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous is to share the experience of people who not thought they never could stop drinking and did with up to us. Share that with other people who want to do that and don't know how. Now, there's a big difference. This is not a scare tactic. 
And if you recover from alcoholism or not, doesn't matter to me. Because there's nothing in it for me. That's one of the most wonderful things about Alcoholics Anonymous. When you go to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, you're going to find that you can trust those people because there's nothing in it for them. If your life gets better for you, how does that improve their life? All my life, people told me what to do, but they had a motive. And I knew they didn't understand, so I never listened to them. There's no motive here. If you make it or don't make it, our lives, those people's lives, are not improved. The only catch to Alcoholics Anonymous is if something special happens to you as a result of your participation in Alcoholics Anonymous, and if your life is improved as a result of that, it won't keep happening unless you offer to others. Now that's the catch. Alcoholics Anonymous has a catch. If you got it, you want to keep it, you got to be willing to give it away. Now, you can't give away something you don't have. So if you don't have it, don't worry about it. You're not supposed to have it. If you're new, you're not supposed to have it. If you're new, you're not supposed to even understand a lot of the things about Alcoholics Anonymous. But you're going to understand everything we talk about here today. Now, I'm going to tell you, I want to thank you for taking your hat off. I know you. I like hats, too. I'm kind of an outdoors guy, so I spend all my time that I can out in, out in the woods or fields hunting and fishing. And I always wear a hat. You know why I don't wear a hat today, Amy? Out of a out of a sense of dignity. I won't wear a hat in church. This is my church. This is my religion. Religion is a system of belief. That's what Alcoholics Anonymous is. So I take my hat off when I come to an Alcoholics Anonymous meetings as a sense of acknowledgement of dignity of the place that I'm in. Well, I appreciate that you did that. It's not a matter of defiance. It's not a matter of your right. There's no more important place for me to be in than a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's more important for me to be here than it is to be in the White House. I never sit down with the President of the United States with my head on. Right, it's a matter of courtesy. I acknowledge by that surrender that I want to fit in. I don't want to be different. I don't want to demand my right to do what I want to do. Because as long as I did that, I was doing the drink. I'll tell you the reason I'm here. The reason I'm here... One of the reasons I'm here, of course, the real reason is because I have to give it away to keep it, and I've got it. I mean, what I've got is that I've got a recovery that I never thought possible. It doesn't mean I'm a wonderful person, and my life is just without any difficulty. That's not what it means at all. But I'll tell you what's happened here. I'm not the same person that I used to be. And I didn't think that would ever be possible. I thought I was going to be doomed to live as me for the rest of my life. The me that I knew back in November 1971. But I'm not that same person. And if the person that came in here on November 3rd, 1971 was standing up here and then on this side was the me that's standing here today, you wouldn't even see. You'd say, those are two different people. That's what Alcoholics Anonymous offers to you and it offers to me and it offers to a lot of people. One of the motivators, though, that I'm here, I think, is that a lot of, something changed in my life about five years ago. Although I've been doing this for, I don't know how long, but for about ten years, Joe, I think the class of 81 and 82 was our first <laughs> beginner's class. And uh, where I come from, we do this, we do this, we have a beginner's class. And the purpose of it is to give you information 
that you might be able to use to help yourself. And we do it on a regular basis. And my hats are off to you guys for coming here. Because if you come here, just by being here, you're ahead of the game. Your presence here means that you think it's important enough to take time out of your busy life to sit on a chair in a room to hear somebody you don't know and you're sure it's going to bore you. But you're willing to take that risk. That's an important surrender. But about five years ago, Alcoholics Anonymous published its survey. Every five years, Alcoholics Anonymous World Service Organization publishes a survey of its membership. And what they do is they send out survey forms like any other census, and they send them all over the world to groups. And what those groups do is they fill out that form. I meant to bring that survey here, and I forgot to do it. I wanted to show it to you because I wanted you to understand why it's so important that we're going to do what we're doing here today. You're going to have to take my word for what it says. But I tell you, what I say it says, it really says. And if you have any doubt, I'll send it to you. But if you don't believe me, then we're going to make a little bet. Because if it says what I say it says, you have to send some money to your central office. And if it doesn't, I'll send some money to your central office. It really says what it says. So I called back there and I said, read the census to me because I want to be able to tell them exactly what it says. Now, there's going to be a new census done in Alcoholics Anonymous and published shortly. It won't be much different than this because this was, much, was not much different than the one before. It may change by a percentage or two. Here's what the census of Alcoholics Anonymous last reported. The survey concluded as a result of all of the answering of the questions by the groups that 33% of all the membership of Alcoholics Anonymous present then in Alcoholics Anonymous was less than one year sober. 33%. 38% was one to five years sober. Okay. 29% was sober more than five years. That means that 71% of all the people in Alcoholics Anonymous had less than five years of continuous sobriety. And then to top it off, they did an average. The average of all the membership was 52 months. And I read that, and I was frightened. Because I said to myself, that's nuts. We've had 57 years to accumulate people in Alcoholics Anonymous. That census should be 71% of the people have more than 10 years. That's what it should say. Or 5 years. It's upside down. That's fact. It doesn't even conform to society. Where are you from, Dan? Here. 
Where are you from, huh? Boca Grande. I don't know anything about Boca Grande. Is it a village, a town? It's an island. How big is it? Seven miles long. How many people are there? Two thousand. How many babies? <laughs> babies. I'm going to take all people in Boca, Boca Grande, is it? And we divide them up? We have more babies? Older people? Well, forget areas that may be slanted because of retirement type. If you go to Wichita, Kansas, Billings, Montana, where people don't generally go to retire, just the typical place that people live and sort them out. Anywhere in the world you do this and sort them out. People over 30 over here, and 10 over here, and from 10 to babies here. Over the biggest group. Of course, by far, that's reality. So it's supposed to be. Because Wichita, Kansas has been there a long time. So has AA. So I said to myself, either AA doesn't work or something's wrong. Now, by this time, I'm sober a lot of years when I read that survey. And I say to myself, think about that. And I did think about it. When I came into Alcoholics Anonymous in 1971, every room was full. Every room was full of people. I'm not so nuts and self-centered to think that when I came in, all of a sudden, that was the beginning of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was full of people. Every room. Meetings everywhere. Everywhere there were people there were meetings. When this was a sleepy little village, Naples, Florida, I was here. There were meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it was a sleepy little village. Wherever there were people, there were meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, and those meetings were full. And I thought back to myself, Jesus, the first year I came, there were a lot of guys, that, guys and gals that came in with me, and they're all gone. It's all gone. Oh, there's one here and one there, but for the most part, they're all gone. And you know, in 1972, when I had a year of sobriety, a lot of people came in, guys and gals, and they're all gone. Most of them are all gone. 73, we were really in our missionary stage. You'll get in that. That's when you have very little knowledge and you can't wait to share it with somebody. <laughs> oh, God. Well, gee, we do a lot of good in our missionary stage. You know why? Because we have enthusiasm. We have enthusiasm, and enthusiasm is contagious. But a lot of people came into Alcoholics Anonymous, and most of them are gone. So I said to myself, now wait a minute, either this doesn't work, or something's wrong. And I'm going to tell you something, I believe it works. I believe it works, because I'm still here, and a lot of other people are still here, so it has to work. But what's wrong then? Maybe it's the way we tell people what it is. Maybe since 1935 and 1939 when the book Alcoholics Anonymous was printed, maybe we started to water this thing down, trying to get people to accept it. Maybe we're trying to sell this thing. So that if you don't like its taste, we water it down so it tastes good to you. Maybe it's the idea we're so anxious to make you accept it that we sell it out. I tell you, what, you get a, you put some whiskey in a glass, and you add some water. 
And he had some more water. And he had some more water. And he had some more water. And he had some more water. You had enough water, you won't drink it. Just throw it out. Because it doesn't work. You put enough water on that whiskey, it doesn't work, and you're not going to drink it. You just won't drink it. Because it's not going to work. A shot of whiskey and a pint of water? Give me a break. <laughs> so we've done Alcoholics Anonymous some places, and it happened where I live. I don't know if it happened here. So what we're going to do is I'm going to tell you what I think is the real fact and maybe give you those tools that you can build something on it. This is a program about change. You changing you. This is very has very little to do with drinking. There are two kinds of alcoholics, I think. I think. Remember, you don't have to believe anything I say. I think. I observe. First kind. Wonderful person. Never had any real problems, loves who they are, gets along with everybody, just drinks too much, gets in a lot of trouble, stops drinking and becomes again a wonderful person without a lot of problems, just gets along with everybody. I don't know anything about that kind of alcoholic. <laughs> then there's another alcoholic. Who never, who can hardly ever remember being happy. Who hardly has any sense of self-image. Who's carried secrets around all their life. Dirty secrets. Shameful secrets. Who feels weak. Scared. Different. Rebellious. Sorry. Mad. Subject to depression. Haunted by anxiety. Visited by financial and every other insecurity. And who, when they drank, those things improved. And liked the effect of alcohol. And drank to have those things improve. I know a lot about that kind of alcoholic. If you're one of those, this is going to make sense to you. If you're the first kind, you're a finished product. I stand before you as part of that second group, and I'm not a finished product. I'm a constant, evolving, learning, trying to do better guy. Who knows things now after being sober 20 years that I didn't know when I was 10 years sober? When I was two years sober, I had a lot of opinions about Alcoholics Anonymous. I thought I knew a lot of the answers. When I was five years sober, I was embarrassed by what I publicly had said when I was two years old. <laughs> when I was ten years sober, I realized how sick I was when I was five years sober. <laughs> when I celebrated my 20th anniversary, I knew that I knew the question. I knew the question. The answer. But I knew the question. 
You can't get the answer unless you know the question. I know the question. I think. And the answers will always elude me. And that's what I'll do for the rest of my life. Trying to find the answers. And that's an adventure in living. That's not a chore. That's not a punishment. That's not painful. It's an exciting adventure. Where I come from, sometime about ten years ago or thereabouts, I don't know, I did an experiment with the people who were new to Alcoholics Anonymous in the beginners gathering. And I challenged them to use their imagination. Some of you know about this, and maybe you've heard it on a tape or something, but I'm going to do it today. I asked him what an alcoholic was. <coughs> See, we use a lot of words around here, but I don't know if we know what the hell we're talking about. What's an alcoholic? Well, how long are you sober? What's your name? Carolyn, how long are you sober? A little over a month. I want you to do something for me. Play this game with me, okay? (laughs) Trust me, Carolyn. (laughs) Okay, kid. Be honest. Close your eyes. Picture an alcohol. What did you picture, Carolyn? Tell us what you picture. Okay. You picture someone at a bar thinking that they are having a good time. You know what most people picture when they do that? <coughs> Dirty old man. Most beginners. Just put in a, now, that was very tough for her because part of that experiment is they're, they're, they're wondering, well, what should I say? I don't have the right answer. But if we had enough time to just cool down and be out of the defense mechanism and we just relax, and somebody said, okay, now we're ready. Close your eyes. What do you picture? <coughs> Most people will picture a dirty old man. Right? You agree, don't you, young lady? Well, that makes me crazy. You know why? Because I wish you would have pictured a dirty old woman. Okay. You want me to stay on this side of the mic? <laughs> That's an alcoholic. <laughs> well, yeah, I so. turn this off until I can move around and make these. I, I want to do this for these people and not for those people. Let's see if we can uh, do that, okay? That may work. Okay. 
people picture a dirty old man because most people when they come into Alcoholics Anonymous picture Skid Row, derelict, failure, loser. <coughs> my perception when I came here. It wasn't me. I was too young. I was 34 years old by the time I last, I got here. Now, I've been kind of creeping up on coming from the time I was about 30. Okay? And to me, 30 was young. Now, it doesn't seem so young to some of you people who are younger. It's a terrible thing that happened to me. Excuse me. What do you want me to do with this thing? Is that better for you? Oh. Oh, if it's better for you, I will do it. No. No, I just... Okay, fine. Whatever is better for you. I, I, it's not better for me. I want to sing doing it my way, you know. <laughs> I was giving a talk somewhere this last year. I don't know what... But but stay. I think it was in Minnesota, and the guy walked up to me and said, uh, "There's a guy in Salt Lake City who would just love to have a autographed copy of one of your tapes. He's a he's a very special guy because he's got something in common with you. Your sobriety date is very important to him. You know, being an alcoholic." He said, uh, he was born the day you got over. And I thought, Jesus. <laughs> and I thought I'd get so old. I hope you get a lot older. Well, when I was 30, I thought that was awful young to be an alcoholic. And I pictured a skitter on bum. And when I got into Alcoholics Anonymous and people started to talk about alcoholics, I didn't know what they were talking about. I know what they were saying. What's an alcoholic? So I look in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, and you know what? It doesn't say in the book Alcoholics Anonymous what an alcoholic is. It doesn't say that at all. There's no definition of alcoholic. There's description. There's no definition. I look in 12 and 12. There's no definition of alcoholic. There's nowhere anywhere in the book or any of the literature of Alcoholics Anonymous that says what an alcoholic is. How do I know if what I say an alcoholic, you are seeing and thinking of the same thing? How do I know that? Wouldn't it be a cruel hoax is when you use the term, I'm thinking about something else? We're not communicating. So I asked that group back in 1980 or whenever it was to do an experiment. I asked them to make an alcoholic. I asked them to go into their minds and the laboratory, the pretending to pretend. Now, alcoholics and I must, uh, alcoholics know how to do that. Right? Let me give, let me give you a different word. Fantasize. <laughs> okay? Let's do that. Let's go into that laboratory. Let's pretend. Let's fantasize. Let's picture ourselves in a laboratory and let's make an alcoholic. What do you find in, the, in a laboratory? You find a mad scientist. That'll be me. I'll play that part. Okay? 
there are all kinds of goofy-looking uh, equipment. There's always test tubes. So I'm going to stand before you as a mad scientist. I'm going to hold up a test tube, and you're going to make an alcoholic, I said to this group. I said, make an alcoholic. So I held up an invisible, make-believe test tube, and I asked those people who were brand new like you, months sober, make an alcoholic. Because the idea is if we can see what it is, we'll know what we're talking about. Fair enough, makes sense. So I held that tube up, that test tube, and I asked them to make an alcoholic. And after a while, the first person that volunteered was a young girl. Very young girl. Younger than you. She said, put in fear. Somebody else said, put in anger. Somebody else said, put in depression. Somebody else said, put in anxiety. Someone else said, put in perfectionism. Someone else said, put in guilt. Next person said, put in some more guilt. <laughs> that must have been an Irish Catholic. <laughs> there are three kinds of guilt. Irish guilt, Catholic guilt, and Irish Catholic guilt. <laughs> Protestants don't know as much about guilt as us Catholics do. Loneliness. Superiority. Inferiority. Remorse. Negative self-image. Self-hatred. Denial. That's what they wanted to put in, and that's what they put in the test tube when they were making their alcoholic. And they put in a lot of other things that maybe you have thought of or think about right now. And they didn't put in what I thought they put in first. Alcohol. They didn't put it in. And I said to them, are you missing something? And he looked at me. Somebody said, yeah, put in some alcohol. So we did in this imaginary setting. And guess what happened? If you're in that setting right now, you see what happened. I have the test tube. They put in the ingredients, and now I'm going to pour alcohol in that test tube. Something is happening. You see it. You really see it. Gradually, just a little more alcohol, just a little more alcohol, and what do you see? Alcohol makes fear go away. Alcohol makes loneliness dilute. Just enough alcohol and anger subsides. Just enough alcohol and we are and feel like we want to be and look. I know ladies who admit that when they drink just a little alcohol, they are prettier. They feel prettier. You're guilty, right? 
and I know men who feel the same way. I know men who observe while other people drink too, they get prettier. <laughs> There's a man or two in this audience that walk into a bar, look around and say, oh God, had for a drink, look back and said, holy Christ. Just a little alcohol removes cowardice and gives us courage. And when that works for alcoholics like me, why should I want it to stop? Why should I want to stop drinking? I won't ever because drinking and me equal good. Drinking and me equals comfort, joy. Non-dancers dance after they have a few drinks and feel, now I'm, I know I'm going to age myself, like Fred Astaire. Do you have any idea who that is? Why would you want to stop if it works like that? He wants me to try this. How does it sound? Can you hear back there? It's not going to work, right? It's not going to work. We're going to get this face out. I'm just a little patient. We're going to do this, okay? I don't want to do this, but we're going to do this because it's for you. Okay, now listen. I don't want to stop here, because I don't want you to lose this thought. It's important you understand, if you're an alcoholic of that type, that's why I drink. Because I am the test tube. I've always been the test tube. Oh, I, when I was that test tube, didn't say, oh, I'm a test tube and I'm full of fear and anxiety and that negative self-image. I just was me, and that's the last person I ever wanted to be with. And I hope to lose him. Because I didn't like him. I found no peace with him. I found no dignity with him. And if you would have said to me, change, I'll let you be somebody else. I would have said, who would you let me be? Because I want to I want to be somebody else. But when I'm drinking, I don't want to be anybody else. Because I'm just fine. I can walk into a bar and be a truck driver and walk out an airline pilot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, and it's wonderful and that's why I drink. Sorry. We continued the experiment and we continued to put more and more alcohol in the test tube. You know what we observed? That at some point, the alcohol no longer diluted. It stopped working. What did you do when alcohol stopped working? Did you stop drinking? Did you say to yourself, what's your name, man? John, 
Johnny, what did you say when alcohol stopped working? Oh, well, it stopped working. I think I'll quit. You didn't hear him. You didn't miss a thing. More. If just enough alcohol doesn't work, I know what to do. Put in more. Why? To destroy myself? To get crazy, to feel depression or anxiety or negative self-image or loneliness or have remorse or guilt. No. To have it do what it did early on. Remove those things. Let me be happy. Happy. That's all I ever wanted to be. That's all you ever wanted to be. Think about it. Take all the crap out of your life, all the intellectual processes. And if I say, I give you one wish, one thing you could be, one thing you can feel. Here's my gift on the good fairy. God, careful when I say that. I hope you don't misinterpret that. <clears throat> you would choose to be happy because every human being desperately wants that as the beginning and end of their existence a feeling of comfortable that's all we want okay when drinking stops working people like me drink and if that doesn't work some of us do other things as an extension of that search for relief from me and my inability to relate to you out there. Okay. If you keep drinking after it stops working, Instead of diluting the test tube, you know what's going to happen? Everything in that test tube, if that's you, is going to be intensified. You think you know loneliness? You act and drink after you know it no longer works and you will find a new meaning. You will find a deeper understanding of the word loneliness. Fear will take on new dimension. Not only justified fears, non-existent fears, those are the wonderful ones, where you wake up in the morning after a wonderful day and you just wake up and you know it's doomsday. And you don't know why, but you know you're guilty. And you know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. Kind of like when the phone rings. And you know they're on the other side. And it's, your friend says, well, what are you afraid of? Who are they? You say, I don't know, but I don't answer it. That's alcoholics of my type. That's what we're dealing here with. Now, if we're in that laboratory, folks... 
and we say, okay, I've seen the experiment and I understand how it works. Alcohol for some people works and then stops working. And if those people continue to use it, it will destroy their mind long before it destroys their bodies. The curse of alcoholism is not that it'll kill you. It won't. I came down here and found out my dad has cancer. And Monday they're going to take him, and tomorrow he's going to go in the hospital in Naples, Florida, and they're going to, they're going to get him ready on Monday morning, 7 o'clock, they're going to operate on him. If he has a serious cancer, if he does, I don't know that he does, one of the merciful things about that is that he will soon die. There's nothing merciful about alcoholism. See, if you got it and you don't treat it, you might have to live with it for 30 or 40 or 50 years. Doing hard time. Being as angry as you are. Thinking as little about yourself as you do. Keeping your secrets and accumulating more. Being more and more separated from society with a smaller and smaller group of people who will be defiant like you. That's what I was faced with when I got here. Now, in that laboratory, if you picture that experiment and that happened in your life, let's take the alcohol out of the test tube totally and all the other things you put in afterwards trying to supplement the alcohol. And you know what? People think that drugs are the things that other that people put in. I'll tell you, there's a lot of things people put in trying to supplement it. Some people put in gambling. A lot of people put in pornography. You don't hear that talked a lot about in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's like the big secret. We're not going to have any secrets here today. Pornography. As a way to escape and dream and fantasize a secret. Hmm. Really true. Really true. Not just drugs. Put a lot of things in there. But let's take that alcohol out of that test tube in this laboratory. Yes. We got the test tube full of the same things we had before we put the alcohol in. And we're going to take a break now. And the next thing we're going to talk about is what do we do with what we got in that test tube. Now, anytime, at any time we're talking, you ever feel like you have to get up and go somewhere, just feel free to do that. Washroom or... I don't take any offense to people moving around. I don't demand your uninvited uh, constant attention. And, uh, and if I feel like I have to go, I'm just going to go. <laughs> Come on, ladies. Good. I feel better now. Joe told me he's not leaving. I woke Joe up and... Uh, <laughs> God, that mention in pornography does it all the time. 
No, it wasn't at that point. Okay, Joe, don't leave. No, don't leave. Okay. You can hear me back there, all right? Okay, any time that uh, you can't, because I'm not, you know, used to this, just raise your hand, and then we'll make the adjustment. Okay. Remember I talked about the survey? It's my opinion that a lot of people leave here because we don't give them the tools to stay. That we water it down so bad, wanting them to like it, that we don't give them the tools. And I want the newcomers to have the tools as I think the tools exist now. Again, remember, I'm nobody. Nobody appointed me. I don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't speak for my home group. I don't speak for a committee. These are just my opinions. And you can reject them and it's okay. But maybe if you just keep an open mind when you're finished here today, you're going to be better off than you were when you came. And in your own private times, in your own private moments, you're going to know that these things do work and apply. And you'll have the tools. I'm going to tell you that it's tough to stay sober. It's not easy. And it doesn't just get better and better and better and better. That's a lie. It gets to be life. And life doesn't just get better and better and better and better. You get older and sicker. And the people around you get older and sicker. You have good fortune and bad fortune. You might stay sober ten years and then lose your job and then be overqualified to ever work again. That really happens. That really happens. You might be sober 15 years and then get a divorce. And you might be heartbroken over that turn of events. Doesn't mean A doesn't work. Doesn't mean you haven't recovered or are recovering from alcoholism. It means that you're in life. Sometimes we hear people tell newcomers, just stay sober and it'll get better and better. And when it stops getting better, they leave. Because they say it's a lie. AA doesn't work. They've been told that AA is something it is not. And it's not going to get better and better. You're going to get better and better. Life will continue to be life. And life's mostly bad breaks and misunderstandings and inconveniences. And it's sprinkled with good times. And it's sprinkled with some moments of okay. It's sprinkled with some success. Mostly defeat. There's more work than there is pleasure. That's called life. That's always the way life has been. That's the real life. See, I always believed that at some point you lived happily ever after. I always believed that long before I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. And there was some point, if I get that woman, I will live happily ever after. If I get X amount of dollars, I will live happily ever after. If I get that job, I will live happily ever after. If I will be somebody, I will live happily ever after. I believe that. When I was a kid and they wrote those little stories, and then they lived happily ever after, I believed it. I guess the other kids didn't. But I did. <laughs> yeah. I believed it. And when it didn't happen for me, I knew that I was at fault or somebody was to blame. And I'm good at finding fault and placing blame. 
That's the kind of alcoholic I am. I'm a great critic. I can find the defects and the injustices everywhere I look in the world. And they make me mad. And I know the answer if the people would just live the way I want them to live. And it's not fair that that goddamn train had to be there. I'm in a hurry. Or that old fool is in front of me. Doesn't he see the light has turned to green? I'll kill that guy. You ought to die. Reverse it. You be daydreaming. And then the car behind goes, hey, my manhood is challenged. (laughs) And I look back and I look for that handicap sticker. Because if there is, I'm jumping out and grabbing them by the throat. <laughs> you know, I'm not dumb, I'll tell you. That's the kind of alcoholic I am. If you're like that, this is about you today. When they take the alcohol out of my test tube, they leave all that stuff in there. So when I just stop drinking, it's not wonderful. It's no wonderful when I stop drinking. Oh, at first it's okay. You know why? Because in the first month or two or year or two, the drunkenness is removed. I don't get in the fights. I don't go to those places. I don't lose my car. I don't throw up. In that sense, it gets better. But after a while, not losing your car, not getting into fights, not not remembering where you were the next the night before, just gets to be old hat. And life still is not wonderful. Because now I'm just sober, and now I don't know how to deal with those secrets. That anger... That loneliness, that rebellion, the feeling of not being part of, that guilt. After the honeymoon is over, just being sober, I'm left with the guy that I never wanted to be with, me. And then the people around me in these meetings of alcohol sit out of us, they don't look so good anymore. They start to look gray. I get tired of listening to their same old stories over and over and over again. I don't want to go to those meetings. And I'm sober. And I've been sober a year. Or two. Or six months. Or nine months. And the answer isn't being sober. And I always knew that. And so do you. You've been sober many times before you came here. You've been sober for periods of time during your life long before you came to Alcoholics Anonymous. Sometimes days. Sometimes weeks you've been sober. Sometimes months you've been sober. Some of you have been sober for years. 
long before you came into Alcoholics Anonymous. And you chose to drink again and again and again because you can't stand sober. So if you think and we tell you that the name of the game is don't drink, you're soon going to leave because you're going to find no don't drink doesn't cause any good feelings. And yet you go around Alcoholics Anonymous and there are people telling you if you're a second type like I am, the B type, and I just don't drink, sooner or later I can't live with that test tube and i got to go and drink to try to make it work again. Because I can't stand the way I'm living sober. You can't go to these meetings and be comfortable if you're thinking about how you can sneak to that video store and buy that video or rent it or get that book. You can't feel comfortable at these meetings and talk about gratitude after you just punched out your wife. Hey. Slap your kids around and sit at these meetings and act like, well, newcomer, if you want what I have, and no, you're lying. You got to leave here, because at some point, if you don't feel like you're recovering, you sit around here long enough and lie here long enough, the lies will get caught right here, and you will, to maintain your sanity, leave Alcoholics Anonymous. That's my experience. For people like me now, it may not apply to everybody, it may not apply to anybody in the back of the room. But for my type of alcoholic, there's a hypocrisy I can't deal with. And I can only lie long enough, so long until I have to leave and find some other place to lie in, to start over, to escape. So I'm telling you, if you're new, this is not about not drinking. This is about recovering from alcoholism. And you can't do that while you drink. You can't recover from alcoholism and drink too. This is about feeling happy. But I don't know if we know what we're talking about when I say happy. What's happy? I don't know. What do you think happy is? John, I know it's hard. I just threw this at you. But think for a minute. Don't think of the right answer. Think of what has come to you. What do you think happy is? If I say, John, happy, what's the first thought you have? Hey, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not playing psychiatric games here. So don't anybody think that. Because I don't know anything about... I can't even spell psychiatric. <coughs> Happy's happy, John says. He doesn't. Well, no. What, Sherry? What's happy? You, Sherry says I've never been happy. So I don't know. I didn't either, Sherry, because I don't remember ever being. I remember high. Okay, I remember high. I remember escape. I remember swinging. I remember swaying, but I don't remember happy. Happy. Yeah, happy. Anybody? Happy. Things go my way. Things go my way. Yes, sir. 
peace of mind. Let's gonna keep it. We're gonna keep it in here. That was my mistake. Content, freedom. Anybody else? Yes. Not hurting. Who? Who? Yourself. Comfortable. Oh God! What a word. How do you get that way? For you, it's sobriety. I can guarantee you that there's a particle of truth in what everybody says. That's got the least amount of particle of truth. Because I'll tell you something that's the ugliest thing you ever saw. You think active alcoholism looks bad? You should see long-term untreated alcoholism. (laughs) You want to see something sad? You see somebody who's sober 25 years and who has never taken any steps. And you listen to their critical appraisal of the world. Their fault-finding. Their lack of ability to fit in and sit back. Their anger. And their pontificating. That's it. But it sounds right. I don't want to be that way. I'm that way at my worst. That's not how I want to end up. But there's a particle of truth. Of course, you have to have that to build on to get anything else. Anybody else? Happy? Yes, sir. Serenity, whatever that means. Yes, sir. Acceptance, I'm sure. Every one of these has How do you get that, though? Yes, ma'am. Being able to go to sleep at night is happy for her. The man there shaking his head. I understand. That's right. There was a, yes, sir. People that act the way I want them. But how do I get to feel that way? Yes, sir. Part. When people don't say no, I'm happy? I guess. I guess. I guess. I guess. Joe wants to say something. Go ahead, Joe. Except, how do you do that, Joe? Accepting yourself. How much? Yes, ma'am. Removal of negativity. God, we're negative people, aren't we? Uh, this B type of alcoholic. I mean, it's always like I need more and something different. I just, no matter what I get, it's not enough. I should have that. I mean, no matter what good fortune comes my way, that's fine, but... And yet we have the... Yes, sir. Happiness is knowing the right answer. Okay. I'm sure there's an element of truth in but Yes, ma'am. Being honest and having a clear... How do you do that? Yes, sir. Being okay with myself. Being okay. Comfortable. You agree that's kind of like comfortable, right? Being okay with yourself. Yes, ma'am. Letting go and letting go. Okay. Now, there's an action... That's an action, okay? That's an action, and that's fine. And you think the result of that action is some kind of... Okay? Yes, sir. Being able to remember what I did yesterday. In your case, maybe it wouldn't be. <laughs> I'll tell you, some of the things I've been most grateful for is a loss of memory. I'll tell you, well, God, there were times I got up and I couldn't remember. I thought, thanks, jeez. <laughs> but no, I understand. I'm just being cute. 
Yeah, I'm getting cute. But what is happy? What is happy? We've all put elements of happy. I don't know what is the happy they talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous. How do you get it? I think... Yes, Joe. Yeah, being able to accept what is going on in your life right now. I'm sure that's true. Happiness is a process that people like me have to learn. It didn't, doesn't come natural to me. It seems to come natural to others. At least it's my observation. But it doesn't to me. But happiness, I think, just my opinion, I have no, I can't quote anything and tell you as this is true because somebody said that. that. I'm just sharing my experience. I think for happiness for people like me is not the acquisition of something new. It is the removal of the restraints that have held me bondage. I have been held in bondage by my own fear, my own inadequacies, my own self-doubt, my own self-negative self-image, my secrets. I have always been and will continue to be as sick as my secrets. And I believe for alcoholics of my type, happiness is the removal of those restraints, not the acquisition of anything new. I don't think happiness is her, him, it, their. I honestly tell you, I learned that in Alcoholics Anonymous. I think my feeling of comfortable freedom feeling okay about myself, being able to accept life on life's terms, being sober, and all the things you said are part and parcel of my being free of the things that are in the test tube, which together make up who I am. And the question is, how do you get free of those things? Because guys... If I have all the things that are in the test tube and I take out the alcohol, I still feel those things. I want relief from those things. And if you can't give it to me, I will ultimately be forced to go out to find it because I can't stand it. Alcoholics of my type. Alcoholics Anonymous is the thing that replaces the alcohol. Here's how it works. Before I do that, I've just had a thought. Kind of exciting to me, but not to you apparently. But Before I comment on how it works, and I'm not not trying to over or explain or replace the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Please don't interpret it that way. How I understand it works as a result of understanding how it works, okay? Why it works. It works 
because this is the first place I've ever been in my life that I knew they understood. Every place I've ever been before November 3rd, 1971, people told me, don't you understand what you're doing to yourself? Don't you see what you're doing to them or us? Change. Stop. Don't do that. Don't act that way. And my thought always was, get out of my face. <laughs> Who are you to tell me? You are my problem. It's because of people like you, I think to myself, is why my life's in such a mess. If I could get rid of all you people, terrible people like mothers, fathers, wives, children, terrible things like brothers and sisters, I would be okay. It's the pressure and your demands and your criticisms and your expectations of me. I can convince myself. That's why I drink. I mean that. I know that feeling. I don't know if you do. That's why I drink. I'm convinced of that. But when I came here, they didn't tell me those things. They didn't tell me don't drink. They didn't tell me that I was going to die if I kept drinking. They didn't tell me what I should do. They told me what they did and how they lived and how they not they now live. And I said to myself, they understand. And you know what? I knew they understood. That's why they got me. That's why it worked before how it worked. It was the only place in the whole world that I ever came and people didn't tell me. They shared themselves with me and there was nothing in it for them. And I was not captivated by their stories of how much they drank or how many dirty books they read or how long they masturbated or how long... Hey. <laughs> what they did with drugs and what they did... I wasn't interested in that. That wasn't captivating. That did make me feel that they understood when they talked about guilt. And the things that were in the test tube, that's when I knew they understood. I knew they understood about pretending they're okay so people wouldn't find out they were what they were and how they were and how hard that is to do. Until some days you just don't even care about pretending anymore. You just don't care about living anymore. It's just, let me out of here. That pain is so great. And that pain is felt during sober during sober not during drunk I've been around long enough to have had a lot of people take their fourth and fifth steps with me hardly ever do they relate to me things they did while drunk it's the things their secrets were committed during their sobriety and sometimes when they were seven and eight and 10, and 12, and 15, and 20, and here they're 65, and they're still haunted by what they did when they were 9. That's sad. That's freedom. 
to be able to be released from that bondage of that kind of unforgiving guilt. And when I came in this room and those people shared with me, I knew they understood. I didn't know they could help, but I knew they understood. They understood every bit as much as the people I used to drink with understood. Because that's what people talk about when they're drinking. But my crowd, when I finally ended up with my little group of people after I had estranged myself from most of the world, I... And we shared certain beliefs. The world sucks. <laughs> Who needs them? We know. They don't know. My little group were like the last survivors in the Alamo. We were right. We were going we to go down fighting. Or we were alone. Never tell anybody you cry. Never let anybody know you cry. Especially if you're a man. You can cry. I cried before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and I cried after I came into Alcoholics Anonymous and I will continue to cry. Because to cry is human. It's human and I'm a human being. How many people that are new in this room and this half of that room, not in the back, how many of you have cried? Try. Do you ever think you'd raise your hand to that question? Think about it. Do you ever think you'd ever sit in a room with a bunch of strangers and the hand, raise your hand that you've cried? That's how sick guys like me are. You know what? Why? Because it's not like being a man. There's some kind of cowardice. I cried in the privacy of my bedroom. I've cried in the bathroom. I've cried in the car. I've cried down, running down the street. I've cried and I've prayed. I prayed long before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. God, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I'm never going to get away from this. I came here and these people started to talk and I thought to myself, these guys know me. They know me because I'm like them. Maybe I can get help here to do what? Get sober? Sounds like that. To change. So I can live with myself. How it works. AA is designed to effectuate something that you never wanted or thought would have any meaning in your life. And that is to effectuate a spiritual awakening, the result of which will remove from you any thought of drinking and will give you a you you can live with comfortably. But it doesn't happen as a result of going to meetings. AA is two ideas, not one, which we have so wrapped together that I think we have diluted it and makes it so it is not functionable for newcomers. And maybe that's why they leave. First idea, AA is a fellowship. A fellowship. It's the coming together of people who have a similar problem or dilemma to support 
one another and share their hope and their strength. They come together and they have meetings. They come together and they have conferences. They come together and they have picnics. They come together and they go play baseball. They come together and they go to coffee shops. They come together and they say prayer. In some places they hold hands. When they say a prayer, they come together to be together in support and in hope and in love so that we together can be something that we ourselves cannot. But that is not does not treat alcoholism. Part 1, Idea 1, AA is a support mechanism, a fellowship. Part 2, Idea 2, it is a series of actions if which we, if we would take would cause that spiritual awakening by which we would remove the things in the test tube. If this sounds confusing, think of it this way. Okay? Think of the fellowship as a hospital. Think of the steps as an operation. If my dad tomorrow is admitted to the hospital and they treat him with care and love and support and they share there's a man here who shared with me the fact that he had the same operation two years ago. And he's doing fine. And if I brought him there and said, Dad, talk to this guy. It'll give you hope. And he'll say, Frank, my dad's name is Frank. He'd say, Frank, look at This is what I had. And it's tough. But I have survived. And life goes on. And it will for you. Now, that will be wonderful. And my dad would feel better instantly. And we do that in Alcoholics Anonymous. We say to each other, and when you're new, here's our story. But if my dad doesn't get the operation, he's going to die. If you come into Alcoholics Anonymous and just stay in the hospital and wrap yourself up around the love, but you don't treat what's in the test tube, you're going to leave Alcoholics Anonymous. Because you have to. To find relief from what's in the test tube. AA is the hospital. Idea one. It's the operation. Idea two. One follows the other. You can't take the operation unless you're in the hospital. Getting to the hospital is an admission and a surrender that allows you to get ready and accept the operation. But both ideas have to be done and come together if there's going to be recovery from alcoholism. If you're my type of alcoholic, it, I don't know what type you are. It's easy to go to those meetings. It's a lot easier to go to those meetings than it is to take those steps. I mean, let's be honest. You have a 
you have a captive audience, just like I have here. they got to listen to you. We'd love to sit there and tell them half the story and then see what they're going to do with those facts. <laughs> I challenge you to make me happy. Here's half the story. It's a lot easier to do that than do those. Why should I do these? You know what? These are the simplest things in the world to do. But if you're an alcoholic of my type, you will resist getting well. That's what's so hideous about this disease. If somebody came to my dad this morning and said, Frank, we can cure you. All you have to do is do 12 things. Take 12 actions and that cancer will be removed forever. You think he would resist those 12 things? I don't care what they were. How hard they were. You know why? He wants to live. That's true of people who have diabetes. That's true of people who are blind. If you said, listen... We can cure your blindness. We can prevent you from going blind. All you got to do is take these actions. When can I start, they'd say. They would. AIDS. No problem. Twelve actions, if practiced over a period of time, will remove your AIDS. Guaranteed. Tell me what they are. How quickly can I have them? Well, you got to take them one at a time. No problem. You got to take them in order. No, I'll do it. You know why? Because they want to live and they believe they're sick. Why don't we do that? Why don't we take those actions? Why aren't we as enthusiastic about our recovery those people? Why don't we do that? Either for them to accept me or to approve of me. I've done a lot of things in my life for other people's approval. I don't do anything for anybody's approval anymore. It's not important. I learned in Alcoholics Anonymous, the only approval I seek is the approval of God and myself. That's the only approval. And once I feel like a man, I never have to act like a man. You know when you feel like a man, you never have to act like a man? You never have to prove you're a man? If you feel like a man, you don't have to be in a fight to prove it. You know you're a man. What you got to prove? How could you not be ready to live free, happy? Comfortable. How could you not be ready? Because the alcoholic suffers from denial. Because you don't really believe you're an alcoholic of that type. Or you still think your case is different. Or you don't believe it works. That this will work. I got news for you. You don't have to believe. You don't even have to understand if you're new. You're sober a month. All you got to do is be willing to believe. And the belief will come. As long as we take the denial off of our... You know, Bob Conrad, the guy that I've met on several occasions, you know, he, he did that commercial with the battery on his shoulder. I dare you. How many of us come into Alcoholics Anonymous with that battery on our shoulder? I dare you to help me. I dare you. Who are you? I don't know, buddy. We won't touch your battery. 